Welcome back, everybody. This is me, Matt Wright, streaming to you live for this week's episode of The Writer's Block. Truly, thank you to everybody out there who tunes in to The Writer's Block, because without you, uh, well, this show wouldn't exist, because why would I do it for nobody? So thank you to all of you out there. Uh, Definitely, definitely appreciate you tuning in week after week. Uh, to find out who it is that I am talking to and what it is I have to say about mm, pretty much nothing. Um, First and foremost, outside of my wonderful fans and friends and everybody out there in the world, thank you to SiestaCava.com for the kava that I am drinking on today's episode. Uh, If you are one of the many who have tried the Libertarian Kool-Aid, you probably know about Siesta.com. If you haven't tried the Libertarian Kool-Aid yet, you should definitely try Kava. It will change your life like it did mine. Uh, to them and to all of you watching, I say, Bula Vinaka. This show is brought to you, as always, by personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. And even though we don't do the anchor call-in moment on this show... He deserves to be recognized. If you live in the Florida area of the United States and you find yourself personally injured by anyone or anything, call that man. Call that smiling, beautiful man right there because he will get you so rich. He will get you so, so very rich. This episode is also brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing waffle related caucus ever. Ever. If you want to be a member of the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, all you have to do is go to muddiedwatersmedia.com slash store and buy yourself a, a Waffle House button. Um, if you want to be a voting member, pick up a t-shirt. Uh, the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus. We are here for you 24-7. This episode is also brought to you by Black Organic Coffee. Black, Black Organic Coffee, the finest cold brew coffee on the market. That is at blackbrews.com, spelled with a V, because nothing in this world matters. BLVCKBrews.com, use checkout code MW for free shipping. The most aptly named sponsorship of all time. This episode is also brought to you by Mudwater Coffee Alternative, for anybody out there who tried black coffee and was like, no, they spell it wrong and I don't like it. I want something different. I want something that tastes very earthy. I want something that has masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and that's it. This is what you are looking for. Mud water. Visit muddiedwatersmedia.com slash mud and make the switch today. This episode is also brought to you by Gravy King. 
And this episode is brought to you by Nug of Knowledge, the greatest CBD, the greatest CBD uh, product on the market. Um, apparently, uh, well, the green one isn't even CBD. Apparently, that one's just essentially, you know, illegal in most states. Uh, so if you are looking for fantastic CBD product, you just check out code SPIKE for 10% off. This episode is brought to you by the Royal Green. And, you know, m many of you know this already, but uh, I've authored a couple of books. So I never think that we should judge a book by its cover. But that's what I'm going to do here. Um, the Royal Green is written by a fellow libertarian and author, Jack Casey. And the covers... Yeah, I mean, can you... They kind of, they look cool, right? Like, they're cool. Uh, is, I think, I think that's a ring. I, I think. Um, the shadow in, in the shape of a sword, I think, is on there. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I'm certain that all of this means something very deep. And the other one in Silver Throned, uh, there's a butterfly with another sword, maybe a knife. I don't know. Um, not sure what it all means, but, uh, the point is this book series is either going to be the best thing you've ever read or it's going to be awful. And either way, don't blame us for it. Um, because we haven't read it. Um, but if you do read it and you like it, let us know if it's any good. Uh, the author claims it's like if Game of Thrones, Dune, Ender's Game, Final Fantasy, Hamlet, V for Vendetta, Phantom of the Opera, and a bunch of other stories came together and had a few strange but beautiful rectangular-shaped babies. Visit theroyalgreen.com today to learn more. And this episode is brought to you, of course, by Joe Soloski for Pennsylvania Governor. He is the key to Pennsylvania's success. If you are in the Pennsylvania area, the Pennsylvania region of the United States, vote for Joe Soloski for governor. Um, my next guest, I'm very excited about my next guest. Uh, she and I have been friends on Facebook, going back to an account that no longer exists because Facebook hates me. Um, but we've been friends for on Facebook for a while, but we have I don't think we've ever spoken, but I've always kind of wanted to. So I'm excited to uh, get her on because I have a lot of questions for her and I want to know what uh, she has planned for the future. Um, currently chairs, she currently chairs the uh, Libertarian Party of LA County and chairs the California Mises Caucus, as well as sits on the executive committee of the Libertarian Party of California. And she's running for the chair of the Libertarian Party in 2022. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome with me, Angela McArdle. Angela, thank you. Sorry, I had you turned down and so... People miss that. I apologize. That's okay. I was just saying, thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. I, I, I am so happy that we had a chance to do this. Um, and I am, I literally, since, since, since we became friends on my old account, um, I have found your post to be uh, engaging and like they raised some questions in my mind and I have been looking forward to getting you on to get a chance to talk to you. So glad to be here. Yeah. So what I like to do at the beginning uh, of the writer's block, I ask everybody that comes on, how did they become a libertarian? Were they always one? Was it some sort of aha moment? Did you kind of grow into it eventually? What, what is your story on how you uh, joined this party? Well, I've talked about it on a handful of other casts, podcasts. It's sort of like a story in three acts. So I, you know, I had this just very basic low resolution switch to libertarianism when I was a teenager, like I think maybe 17 years old, where I had a conversation with someone and I just moved, by the way, to California from Texas, grew up in a very socially conservative home, just, you know, knee jerk Republican household. And I said, you know, I'm conservative, I'm all about like guns and I, I don't want to waste money, but I don't really, you know, I don't really care about like if gay people get married, like whatever, like shouldn't conservatives wait, don't conservatives want the gays to get married and be conservative with them, whatever. And I thought, well, I don't think my friends should go to jail for smoking weed. It just seems stupid. Like they're not hurting anyone. They're just kind of sitting around smoking weed and maybe talking about dumb stuff, like whether or not their hands are shrinking. <laughs> so, uh, 
you know, uh, the person I was chatting with said, well, you sound more like a libertarian. And I thought, well, that, okay, I'll be a libertarian, you know, Fair. that word still, it has like freedom in it. It sounds like it's practically the same thing. So I became a libertarian knowing very little about it. Right. And then I, uh, then I read The Creature from Jekyll Island, which imploded my worldview and psychologically traumatized me <laughs> and terrified me made me just very frightened of the federal government and central banking and thought, well, you know, everything I believe is a lie. The entire world, you know, could crumble at any moment when the dollar collapses and it will. It will. And then a few years after that, I found out about Ron Paul and the Ron Paul revolution and the broader movement. And that really brought everything full circle because first I heard about libertarianism and then I learned how evil the government was and learned more about it on a personal level. And finally, I realized there's a movement and there are a lot of people who are very worried about the same thing as I was. And that was the liberty movement. So that was how I became a libertarian. It took at least 10 years. Yeah, my, like, so the first time I got arrested for possession of marijuana, that really started pushing me in the direction of libertarianism. Because, you know, I grew up conservative and then I got arrested for possession of marijuana and I thought, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Literally, I'm usually sitting at home playing Tony Hawk, I don't know, uh, playing Tony Hawk and watching movies that aren't good and uh, just enjoying, in, enjoying it every once in a while. I do take it out of the house to go to a amusement park somewhere and uh, ride roller coasters. So... Who is this hurting by me doing this? And that's how the progression started and eventually turning me into what everybody sees every week. Um, now, you said that you moved from Texas to L.A., which is not the usual move that people make. So it's not. No. Like, I think right now everybody's going the opposite direction. Yeah. For better or worse, sorry, Texas, right. you know. <laughs> sorry, Texas, California is invading. Um, they're pulling an insurgency. Now, uh, yeah, so I, I was born out in L.A., um, as I was telling you right before the show started. We ended up moving to Virginia um, back before Virginia was what it is now. And you are, a lot of what I'm seeing going on in Virginia was what my parents saw going on in California when we left. Um, and mm -hmm. it's part of the reason that I ended up leaving Virginia was I wanted to get out of there before uh, we started getting to California taxes and California laws on guns and Cal what, all of that. So I went to Tennessee and then I came down here to uh, Florida. Um, now, you seem to be pretty steadfast in your L.A. in your L.A. life, in your California life. Well, I have been historically, let's see how things go over the next year. Okay. Um, I hope I don't end up having to eat crow and move out. Mm -hmm. I'm very concerned about vaccine passports and being able to move about freely and go to the grocery store and go to concerts and lead a somewhat normal life. So that's one thing that could potentially drive me out of California. But California is the canary in the coal mine. If you're not willing to take a stand here, some of us have got to be right and and fight for it. You know, the phrase is, so goes California, so goes the nation. Right. And I do think that that's true. We really do need to fight it in the in the most difficult, hideous battleground there is. And that's California, New York, and we've also discovered Michigan to a certain extent. But these are the places where where they're sort of testing us and seeing, you know, what will the population put up with? Right. And California, California, Michigan, New York, all great examples of area of states that have been super restrictive during the past year plus year, year, what yeah. is it? 13 months now. Um, yeah. During the, during the uh, COVID pandemic, the pandemic, as people that I know call it. Um, I've been lucky enough that I live in Florida and, we did have a lockdown. I think it was like 
three weeks. I'm not even a hundred percent sure. Like it, it was very two months. Was ours two months? Two months. Okay. Yeah. You know better than me. I I lived my life normally. I never got stopped anywhere. Like I just went about my day. Um, the only thing that was bad was I couldn't hang out places at night. Um, but I know that one of the things that you are very passionate about is making sure that everybody is free in Cal in California where you are as as well as nationwide. And you, uh, I've seen you talk multiple times about ending lockdowns and letting businesses reopen. Um, where in it, where in this, and does the personal freedom to open up, to open up, uh, to open up your business, where does that line infringe on somebody who doesn't want to get COVID? Well, it was a really weirdly worded question as it left my mouth. People who don't, we don't owe anyone a safe atmosphere. I have no control over what's in the air. I have no control over, well, things that are completely without my control. Just, I don't owe them that. Uh, you don't owe anyone a completely safe environment. We don't live in a perfectly safe world. Sure, people can stay home if they're that terrified of germs. They really can. I'm not sure at what point we decided that everything in the world should be and must be inherently safe. People go outside, they walk down the street, they're jogging, they're not wearing helmets. You could potentially fall and crack your head open and die. But one of the, one of the many elephants in the room during this entire pandemic and the lockdown is driving automobiles. People die on the road every single day. Every day. Every day. But we just take the sort of utilitarian cost benefit analysis. People need to get to work. They need to get to medical appointments. They need to get to interviews, the grocery store, any number of errands and things that you do to get on with your life. And I don't believe that a new virus, new virus, whatever you want to think of it, I don't believe that that is going to, that that should just make the world stop and subject everyone else to torturous safety procedures. I'm not compelled, not compelled. I get that. Yeah. So, uh, not a lot of people know, well, if you've been watching the show for since the muddy waters of freedom started four and a half years ago, you do, um, this, all, all of this kind of got started because, uh, the state of Florida, uh, as well as the FDA, uh, we're trying to ban a drink called Kratom. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. Some people have, some people haven't. Uh, I don't drink it anymore, but it is something that is out there. It's a tea that people drink, and it has opioid-like effects. Uh, Did you say Kratom? Kratom. K-R-A-T-O-M. Okay. Kratom. Yes. Um, and here in Florida, there are a ton of bars that serve it. Uh, when I first quit drinking, I started hanging out at these places, um, and I did not want them to go away. So I went and I spoke in front of, uh, the legislature here in Florida. Uh, I helped, uh, I helped with the march against the FDA. Um, and my argument to them was, cause they kept saying we need to, if we can save one child. And I was like, we're here in Florida. We have, we have, uh, multiple theme parks that people die at every year. We have, uh, you know, car accidents, drunk driving accidents. We have people drowning in the oceans. We have like so many other things in which more people are dying or more people are at least at, at the barest of minimum, more people are being injured. And you're going after this thing, this one thing that, like you said, the cost benefit analysis, it doesn't make sense to go after. You're doing it in order to appease they were doing it to appease parents that were worried about it. In this case, they're doing it to appease their own needs to try to control our lives further and further. Is the way I see it. I see it the same way. Um, yeah, that's really interesting about the, the Kratom making it illegal. I think it's illegal in Colorado, too. Uh, out in... In Denver, only. In Denver specifically. Yeah, it's in Denver. So out in California, you get it anywhere. A lot of head shops and liquor stores sell it. I used it for at least a year, maybe two years, actually. 
because I have Crohn's disease. Okay. And I was able to use that instead of opioids or a hardcore antispasmodic drug. And it stopped my intestinal spasms and a lot of my internal bleeding. So, I mean, that's a, that's a huge deal, right? It kept me off of morphine and tramadol. Massive. I, I know many people who find Kratom and Kava, they come from much like me, a history of addic- of addiction. Like mm-hmm. I've been a drug addict. I'm, you know, I, well, I still am a drug addict and an alcoholic. Um, and when I decided to quit everything, I started hanging out at Kava bars. And what I found mm-hmm. was that the Kratom, 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 it doesn't matter whichever one you want to go with. I don't, I'm not a snub. Some people are like, no, it's this. I don't care. Um, I found that the Kratom, it made it so my DTs, because I got really bad DTs for a while, they weren't as bad, and I could sleep through the night. And I was like, this is glorious, because I can get a full night's sleep. Um, and then after a while, I stopped drinking it just because I didn't want to be dependent on anything. Mm-hmm. I, I, and so I do drink Kava still uh, pretty frequently, but the Kratom has helped so many people that I have witnessed. And they're like, no, we're just going to take it all away. Like uh, Many conservatives try to get it banned, but I have seen it help vets with PTSD. Yeah. Who are no longer taking like the prescription meds from, um, from the VA. And they're like, no, this stuff helps so much. And they... Oh, yeah. And they're like, no, well, that doesn't matter because we have to do it for the children. And that just is their constant argument. And that's the same thing that you see here. You can't open your business because somebody could get sick and die. Well, right. If they're worried about that, they shouldn't be coming out. Yeah. They should be staying home. You can take whatever protective measures you want, but never in history have we spent so much time focused locking up healthy people to protect people from maybe getting sick Right. because we still don't even have any definitive proof that if you go out, you were guaranteed to get ill. If you go to this business, I mean, Orange County, California had a, had a pretty, you know, we had to deal with California, uh, Gavin Newsom's lockdowns, but the, but the county government had a much more relaxed approach. And I got to go to court and defend a business that was being aggressively uh, singled out by the alcoholic beverage control. So this business had defied the lockdowns. ABC came to revoke their liquor license as punishment directly you know, because of Gavin Newsom. So I, I got the pleasure of uh, being at council's table while one of their top corona experts was cross-examined and he had no evidence that people were harmed or that there was any incident, higher incidence of contagion spread when you're going to a restaurant, like none. Nope. So his policy of, cl- of shutting down restaurants and gyms was based on uh, zero evidence. It was just their opinion. That's, that's what we're dealing with. And so I really do agree when you, when you say that it's government instituting tighter controls, I have to think that's the only thing because I've heard their own, their own officials under sworn testimony say they have no other basis for doing this. And And it's certainly not for our health. No, absolutely not. There, there have been multiple cases throughout when there was the, um, the Ebola cases that were coming out a few years ago. um, They did not go into strict lockdowns. When we went through uh, the swine flu, even a few years before that, there weren't the strict lockdowns. Everything just moved on and you went about your life. Yep. The reason that they're doing this now, the only thing that I can think of, the only thing I can think of is they want more control into our lives. And now they've got like, they've shut down 40% of small businesses across the country. Um, they have so many people that are now relying on government, on mm-hmm. uh, government paychecks. Uh, to just to sit at home and not do anything. There's uh, a company here uh, right in this area um, called Casper's Casper's Company or something. Uh, they own multiple McDonald's. They were paying people 50 bucks to show up to an interview because nobody even was showing up because they just keep getting government money, getting the unemployment benefits, and that's more than they're going to make working at McDonald's or working at Wendy's or they were paying people to show up to an interview. That's an unsustainable model. Um, what progressives seem to, they don't understand is that that, that money, it has to come from somewhere. Right. We can't just keep printing it into oblivion or we're going to end up like Venezuela. 
money, money has to have value and there's no value attached to dollars that we just print. Right. I mean, there's no value attached to dollars anyway, but um, since we left the gold standard. Um, yeah. But, but right. Right now, we just have a system where we're just printing more money, printing more money. And we have a president who I'm not defending the last one even a little bit, but in his first hundred days, we're looking at six, I'm just estimating here, six trillion in new spending is what he has proposed and or passed. It's, it's untenable. I'm not sure. Well, I guess we'll see what happens, right? right. I, I try not to be like this black-pilled fatalist uh, ushering in the, the collapse with glee. I don't like that. So if there's a way around it, I would, I would actually love to see that happen, you right. know, stave it off as long as we can. I think a lot of people who get really excited about collapse and watching the system burn down don't have families. They don't, maybe they don't have small children. They don't have people that they take care of or businesses that they've invested their life savings in. So, you know, I, I want to be optimistic that we can change things in some way so that we don't have uh, Joe Biden or Trump or whoever just spend us into destruction. Right. And I agree. I agree. The, I do see things in kind of a fatalist way addict. Uh, but I, I see things in kind of a fatalist way, but as I have grown and matured, uh, I try to see how is the best way out of it. And honestly, having people who are libertarians running across the nation in the lower races, I think is one of the best ways possible for that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that we really learned during the lockdowns too, are the, the people who are in the best position to defend us from tyrannical government overreach are local um, people in local governance. So, you know, like in California, we had some county supervisors and even sheriffs, I'm not a big fan of law enforcement, but I'm gonna hand it to them in this respect, saying, no, you know, enough is enough. We're not going to enforce your lockdown orders. We're not going to issue citations. We're not gonna lock people up or shut down their businesses. And so it's really important that if we get anybody elected, we can get them elected in those positions so that they can stave off people like Governor Whitmer and Newsom and Cuomo. Exactly. Um, so you actually have made two runs yourself uh, for uh, California's 34th district for, was that for Congress or was that for state? For Congress. For Congress. Know. Okay. Um, I wasn't hundred percent, like I was reading everything really quick when I was setting up for this today and I was like, I forgot to look at which one that was. Now, um, I know about LA. I'm assuming that uh, the Democrats kind of have that one sort of locked up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Democrats have most things in LA County locked up, but not all. There are a couple of libertarian conservative pockets within Los Angeles County, and that's where we try to encourage people to run from now on. Okay. When I ran for Congress, I was really, really, really encouraged to run. Uh, and it was part of what got me involved in the LP so much back in 2017. But I didn't know really how it worked. I just had it kind of thrown at me like, you should run in this race, you should run. Um, it was a little bit of a trial by fire. I get that. I get that. I have been asked to run for either local office, state or federal more times than I can count at this point. Yeah. And I've helped out on a few camp, like on a handful of campaigns and I don't want to do that. That just seems like a lot of work that I don't want to do. Um, <laughs> I like doing this so much more. Um, but now you've kind of not really switched gears cause you're still running, but now you're, you've decided that you want to run for the libertarian party chair. Yeah. Yeah. I'm running for the national chairmanship of the libertarian party in 2022. Excellent. Well, uh, that is in Reno, Reno. Yeah, that'll be Reno. Okay, good. Uh, I might I might see you there. Um, so I was looking up a little bit about what you stand for, and I noticed that one of the big things that you talk about is how you want to change the messaging of the Libertarian Party. So can you, yes. can you tell me a little bit about that, about what you want to oh. change, what you see, what you see that you think needs to be changed and what you uh, what you would do differently? Absolutely. Uh, it appears to me that the Libertarian Party on a national level has low self-esteem. 
we seem to be embarrassed of being libertarians and sort of uh, apologize for it all the time and don't want to talk about it boldly. All of our messaging tends to be geared towards uh, usually making apologies to the left and trying to get them to like us and occasionally making the same similar kinds of arguments to the right and appealing to them, usually from a fiscally conservative perspective. I think that we need to reject pandering to the left and right, and we need to be libertarian. Uh, and we need to be bold and unapologetic about it, and we need to be confident. And I don't see that coming from the National Party right now, not, on, not in their social media, not in their email campaign, not in their overall marketing plan. Right. Whatever that is, if it exists, if, if there is one, if there is, if one. there is one. Yeah, I am. Um, so I left the Libertarian Party a few years ago. Um, I switched my voter registration to uh, no party affiliate. And I was out of the Libertarian Party because of stuff that was going on here in the state of Florida. I was like, I don't even want to be associated with that right now. Um, and then uh, Spike Cohen, my business partner and co-host of the Muddied Waters of Freedom, um, he also ran for something, I don't know. But uh, he signed me up to be a member of the Libertarian Party again last year. So I am once again a member of the Libertarian Party. And in all honesty, what I have seen since I have become a member of the party hasn't impressed me all that much. Like I read their little flyers that they send me every month and the emails that I get, but none of it has been, yes, this is the party I would join if I had no idea about any party. And yeah. It's not compelling. No. It's middle of the road messaging. That's afraid to offend anyone. And when you act like that, you impress no one. Exactly. And many times what I've seen, uh, from the Liber from the national is you actually talked about this on another podcast uh, that I was watching, but when Donald Trump was in office, they seemed to be pandering to the left. When Obama was in office, it seemed they pandered to the right. Now that Biden's yep. in office, possibly to the right. And I don't know if they are doing that in a childish, like anti-authoritarian way, or if they if the issues that Obama and Trump and Biden bring up, we are railing against those. So those are just the ones that are brought into the spotlight. I think what it is, is that the libertarian party chases the mainstream culture. And right now the mainstream culture is slanted towards the left. Uh, we have corporate wokeism, as right. I call it. I don't mean actually caring about the intrinsic value of a gay person's life. I mean, plastering everything in rainbow colors and having Coke tell people to hire minorities. That is corporate wokeism. Right. And that I think is, is gross. And I think that the Libertarian Party sees that and we're like, well, we'll make a Libertarian version of that. And I'm just like, no, no, you just need to be Libertarian. We, we were the first people to say that gay, that, that, that gay people should be able to get married. Right. We don't have to like, we don't have to like even go much farther than that. Just like, yeah, people can marry whoever they want. We don't, we don't need to like try to one up corporate wokeism to appeal to gay people. Like, hey, we want you to be our political pawns too. That is not the libertarian way to champion uh, minority rights messaging. So, and I'm, I, I, I don't disagree with you even a little bit on that, but um, what, so what would you do differently? Like, how would you handle the messaging portion of the national? I think that we need to have good messengers at the helm, first of all. And I don't think that we have that. And I think that means that whoever's in charge needs to have the maturity and wherewithal to put people at the reins who are good at messaging and not just part of your friend or friend group, your social circle, people that you owe a favor to. And it doesn't need to be based on a caucus or who helped you campaign. You need to just put in qualified people. And I don't see that. So that's, that's the first change. Okay. Uh, and then we need to actually have maybe a strategy. This is what we want to convey over the next year. These are the issues. Well, when we put this out, we want people to have X, Y, and Z reactions. We want to, take facts and wrap them in emotional appeal. That's what skilled 
propagandists do. You know, we need to have people with these skills in, um, in a position so that they can affect change and, and move the needle in the direction of liberty. So we could start there. Um, I like to say that we have a fear of alienating normal people with libertarian messaging. And we shouldn't have that fear. We need to get over it. We don't need to be ordinary to appeal to ordinary people. We need to be extraordinary to inspire ordinary people. We want to inspire people. We want to challenge their preconceived notions and we want to make them question authority, you know, and that's what's going to drive them to us. That's another thing is who are we, um, who are we appealing to? I'm not sure that the national party has ever done any market research. There doesn't right. seem to be any serious demographics studies that have been that have been done. We seem to just sort of throw something at the wall and see what sticks and what falls off. So let's do that too. That's that's actually something that I am actively working on right now. I would love to have a complete uh, marketing campaign in place, ready to go if and when I get elected. Right. So, and I do like I agree. Like right now, I have no idea who is joining the Libertarian Party. No clue. I kind of had an idea during um, the presidential campaign because they were running those contests to see who could get most people to sign up and whatever. So you kind of had an idea of who was coming in. Um, but right now, no idea. I don't even know if people are joining or if people are leaving in droves. Like, no idea which one's going on. Um, one of the things that I know people are going to ask you a lot is you are a member of the Mises Caucus and there have been accusations on people that the Mises Caucus is bringing in. Now, I'm going to say real quick, uh, I don't care about any caucus. Uh, you said in an interview, and I'm going to quote you, semi-quote you on this, uh, people care about their status within a small subsect of the Libertarian Party as opposed to achieving freedom. And I agreed with that sentiment so wholeheartedly, which is why I don't really join caucuses or pay attention to what's going on with the infighting between them, because I don't care. I want to spread liberty and freedom to as many people as possible. Um, but a lot of people have talked about the Mises caucus and how they are bringing in, you know, alt-right Nazis or whatever, however they're saying it. Um, you did have a fantastic point on uh, the episode of uh, Larry Sharp that I watched where you said, yeah, you got the alt-right socialists and people saying that they're left-wing lulberts or uh, I don't remember exactly what you said, but just insulting either side and that they weren't getting anything done um, because they weren't actually fighting for liberty. They just wanted to insult the other side. What would you... Somebody said the Waffle House Caucus. That caucus, that caucus is perfect, though. The Waffle House Caucus is fantastic, and everybody should buy a button. Um, I will mail it to you personally. Um, so when you are going, I get that you're going to go for messaging. How is it that you are going to be mindful of who is joining the party? Because we had an issue with that here in Florida a few years ago. So... Yeah, what happened in Florida was probably pretty crappy. Um, right. What was good is that the party kicked Augustus Invictus and his ilk out. It did get resolved. It did get cleaned up. It did. Um, it didn't happen. As, so a little backstory. Like, I wrote an article on Augustus. Um, that's how I wrote an article on Augustus saying, do not vote for this man. Don't do it. This guy is pure evil. Um and I have some friends that were in leadership and they were saying, we need to kick this guy out. The leadership said no. And they both left the party, both gone. Um, and they, they're still gone. I don't think they'll ever come back to the libertarian party. Um, and I just want to make sure that we wouldn't have another issue like that come up for the libertarian party. No. And I think that national actually needs to do a better job of safeguarding its membership. So do I care about people trying to screenshot someone's comments on social media out of context and calling them a Nazi? No. But when someone goes on and they're like, this is my manifesto that includes, you know, racial purity and like IQ realism, and this is what we need and we need fascism to get freedom. Maybe 
maybe let's have a meeting about that and uh, discuss whether or not that person should be in the organization. I think, you know, like a lot of, a lot of the stuff at the national level about whether or not it's appropriate to revoke someone's membership if they've, if they've been convicted of charges related to pedophilia, like we need to be able to just say, you know what, it's okay. We can, we can toss a couple people out of here. I think that's, that's not a problem. And it's something that we've done in California when people have tried to you know, be dishonest when it comes to financials, when people have driven other people out of the party in droves, when they have disrupted conventions and meetings and caused general chaos, we have been able to sit down as an organization and say, I think your membership needs to be reconsidered, given the person due process and voted them out. Uh, I think that the same thing should absolutely happen at the national level. And, you know, if someone's a quote unquote Nazi, you know, I think that term gets used and abused way too much. Right? I, if someone yeah. is a an avowed open white nationalist saying they're trying to change the Libertarian Party, turn it into a fascist party, obviously that's grounds to revoke their membership. And if someone's talking, you know, praising about, you know, harming kids, I think that's another ground to kick them out. Absolutely. Uh, you know, all of the social media fighting and stuff, I think it's gross. I don't think that's grounds to toss someone out of the party. So no, I'm not helicoptering people out because they're in another caucus or I think they're left-leaning. It's, we really need to, we need to safeguard our membership from people who want to abuse us or abuse other members. Right. Those are the people where I would say you're not safe, quote unquote, under my leadership. Fair. Yeah. And the, the issue that we had with uh, the sun God uh, was he was going to destroy the party, the, yeah. the invincible sun God, whoever names themselves that, by the way. He seemed hell-bent on it, he and did. he moved to California and expressed similar interest. Yep, and then he ended up in prison in North Carolina. Um, yeah, what a tragic, sad, awful... That's like watching a train wreck, yeah. and it's people you don't like, but you're like, oh, but the bodies... Ooh, <laughs> that's that's how I felt about that. Kind of, yes. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that I know a lot of people are going to bring up. And again, yeah, I, again, not a fan of any party. I will say I do wear a Mises bracelet. I've had it. I've, I've had this. This is my oldest one of these and I've taken it off for like workouts. Um, so I, I agree with a lot of what Mises uh, stands for. Um, just not a fan of caucuses. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. It's just, you know, I'm already a part of a thing. It's called the Libertarian Party and I don't need to be in a subsect of that thing. Uh, the people that I don't agree with, I'm going to figure out what those things are, see where we can meet. If it's something that we can find a common ground on, great. If not, all right, we're going to agree on 90% of everything else. So whatever. I don't care about your 10%. Um, so you talked to one of the things that uh, somebody brought up to me uh, when I said that I was going to have you on is one of the things that you do is you're big on messaging. You, you don't want watered down messaging. Um, be bold. I, even before you said be bold, there was a bunch of people in the comments saying, be bold, vote gold. It was almost like timed perfectly like they knew. Um, but one of the questions that somebody brought up to me was many people in the Mises caucus um, have been comparing a lot of what's been happening with COVID, like the lockdowns and, you know, mask mandates and the, the, pa the vaccine passports. They've been c comparing it to the Holocaust. And is that like the best messaging that we can go with on that? Or should we kind of traverse it towards something different? I think a lot of the complaints from people... They usually come from people who are afraid to speak out. And so that's the first thing that comes to mind is, is sort of the Copenhagen ethic. And the Copenhagen ethic states that whenever you go to do something, anything to improve something or a situation or a person, people are going to lash out and complain that you didn't do a good enough job and they weren't willing to step up and do it themselves. I think comparing lockdowns to the Holocaust is better than not complaining about it at all. And I think there's still room to improve that messaging. And I think that we are working towards that. Okay. Um, I chair the California LP social media and 
to my knowledge, we haven't made Holocaust analogies. The other thing that we haven't done is thrown any other state affiliates under the bus for making those kind of analogies. And I think that it's very damning for any individual or group to not speak out on lockdowns for an entire year, but then to quickly jump to criticize someone else who does. Yes. I think you need to get your own house in order before you start hurling accusations at someone for being a little bit coarse in their messaging. Right. And I, yes, I agree that if your house, you know, uh, I'm going to try to remember anything I remembered from church. Uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. I think that's the way that goes. Yeah. Um, and yes, many of the people who are out there hurling accusations, they're not without sin. They are definitely not without sin when it comes to any of this. Um, but I saw, I did see, uh, I don't, I think it was Reno or Nevada, Nevada saying that they wanted to block certain people from coming to the convention. Was, was that, am, am, am I remembering this correctly, that Nevada was saying they wanted to block people from next year's convention? I believe so. I mean, Nevada has, I think, scrubbed most of their social media. Okay. And I believe that's right. Right. And I saw that. And anybody who was reading that knew who they were referring to. Yeah. Knew who they were referring to. And many, many of the accusations I felt were exceptionally baseless. Like, again, like you said earlier, um, uh, screenshots that are taken out of context. Um, screenshots that are taken out of context. Uh, people's personal projects that they find funny or silly and they're using that to prove that, mm -hmm. to try to say, Oh, these guys are racist. And it's like, no, they're not like he's married to an Asian woman. It's a joke. Yeah. Um, it's just like the, the excuses for racism, they get so weird and exhausting. I just, I can't even keep up with them. I don't understand how people can be so obsessed with racism. Um, that's definitely not something that you find in the Mises caucus is people just like obsessed with it and constantly focused on it. Right. I just like, I got so many things going on in my life. I don't have time to go th and scroll through people's social media posts endlessly trying to scour and find some way to connect them to this other thing that makes them a racist. Like I just, you know, right. I got to deal with lockdowns. I got to deal with vaccine passports. Now, you know, taxes, local governments, the drug war, that kind of stuff. Not not the social media Nancy Drew uh, squad. That's just the social not a good way to spend time. Right. And and to your point earlier, um, a lot of that is because we are the Libertarian Party and many of the members of the Libertarian Party are just attempting to become like the new woke corporate yeah. wokeism is how you phrased it, I believe. Yeah. Um, and they're just trying to like pandered to that audience and they're like oh look at this we need to cancel this person we need to get rid of this person hell they've said that about uh muddied waters of freedom for stuff that we've posted and, and it's everything is racist sexist misogynistic and right that's not how any of it's intended but in the eye of public perception it's uh how something is taken versus how it's intended how something is taken is all that really matters and that's how you get that mob rule in order yeah. to have that cancel culture um, now I did not know this. Somebody texted me this, uh, right before the show. Are you not asking for a salary to be chair? Well, no one gets a salary as chair as it oh, is right now. Okay. I, I actually didn't know that. That's how little I pay attention to the libertarian party. Yeah. There's no, there's no salary. So I don't, I don't anticipate asking for a salary when I'm chair. Okay. Well, I hope though to get the party in better shape so that the person who comes after me can get a salary. I think that's really okay. important. Very good. Yeah. Somebody said, uh, asking for 2000 a month in Patreon. So you could be Ellen. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that, I didn't know that they didn't get a chair. I remembered hearing something when I was no longer in the party about uh, Sarwark getting an obscene amount of money, um, like 75 bucks an hour for... He asked for it, yeah. Right. Um, and that, I had no idea what that was in reference to because I didn't care because it was the Libertarian Party and I wasn't a member of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I just assumed that that was a salary. And I was like, that seems really high to be the chair of the Libertarian Party. Um, yeah, we don't have that kind of cash I yet. I would like us to get there, but we're not there. Right. We're not I close. was like, wouldn't that money be better spent on people running for local office um, yeah. as opposed to Nick Sarwar? Um, 
So yeah, I I was just kind of curious on if you could tell me more about the two thousand dollars a month on Patreon because I again I did not know any of what we just talked about. <laughs> oh sure. So I have come. I'm I'm nearly halfway to my goal, which is really great. I'm at over eight hundred dollars a month, and uh, until the chair race, I'll be able to spend that money on going to conventions and helping county affiliates and finishing my affiliate building program. But uh, $2,000 a month, I have very low living expenses right now, which is really great. And I have a really supportive boyfriend who helps me out and, you know, puts a roof over my head. So I'm extremely grateful for that. And so that will cover, you know, pretty much cover my living expenses. It's really ridiculously modest and it is nothing, nothing compared to what I could make in litigation, especially if I took a um, a very serious full-time in-house counsel job. Um, so, and then doing it through Patreon, I'm completely circumventing the party. I'm not asking anyone for money. So I think this is more than a win-win. Like this is a really like a positive gain for the party. I would be able to chair the party full-time and we don't have a full-time chair and we haven't for a while. And that's not even a dig at, at Nick or Joe or anyone who came before them. It's just, it hasn't been possible. So I would like to make that possible. So that's why I'm doing this. Um, it's not just for me. Like I want to see the party have a full-time chair after me. Like this is this is what we need. Other political parties have full-time chairs. Agreed. They have salaries, right? Like we need to we need to do a little bit better. Agreed. People, somebody in the comments just shared your Patreon. Um, Thank you guys. <laughs> so let's say you get elected chair. And, uh, and best, haven't made up my mind, but you know, best of luck to you. I hope I, for you, I hope it happens. Um, so let's say you get elected chair. What will you do to help out people running for the local elections in their own States? Get them all over. Let's start by getting them all over social media. Let's get a better website at national and, uh, do a better job of highlighting them and let's have a friendlier relationship with some of the other thought leaders and uh, movers and shakers in the liberty movement so that they are going to be more amenable and friendly to having local candidates on their show and helping to fundraise for local candidates because we don't have enough funding for our local candidates. And I know there are races out there where we could win them if we had like like an extra five or $10,000. That's a right. huge deal, right? So I, I really want to elevate those local campaigns. Right. That's one of the things that I see with the Libertarian Party. It, Me personally, I see it as one of the major issues of the Libertarian Party is mm -hmm. we will spend so much money on a presidential campaign that people are going to get mad at me when I say this. We're not going to win. Um, right. Not right now anyway. Maybe in the future, but right now we are not. And we are going to spend so much money on a presidential campaign. And I think it's important to have a presidential candidate and a vice presidential candidate However, I think that that money could be better spent trying to get libertarians elected down ballot because once you start seeing it working at the city level, at the county level, at the state level, people will start to give money to the party. They will start to give, uh, start to see that libertarianism and the libertarian values and philosophy works and they will say, we want this higher and higher and higher um, as opposed to we're going to throw however much money we have in the, in the coffers at the presidential candidate who's not going to be able to get on mainstream media, who's not going to be able to uh, break 5%. Uh, and because we can't get on mainstream media, I'm not blaming any of our candidates, yeah. no matter how toast they might be. Um, but I don't see it as money well spent for a for a party that claims to be, and I know you hate this, but uh, fiscally conservative. I know. Well, okay, maybe <laughs> we should rethink this entire strategy, right? Okay. Uh, of throwing everything we have at the presidential race and just like literally everything and just like, oh, hoping. We run austere campaigns, you know, like that's uh, that's what it is. We we have a shoestring budget, so we need we should be more creative. Okay. And we should maybe adjust our targets, uh, adjust our sites. Who are we even trying to convince to vote libertarian? No one seems to know. So why don't we start by figuring out, you know, who is amenable to voting libertarian? Targeting them. We may surprisingly need to spend less money. We could spend money in a focused way. 
And then if we if we target our message properly when, when we do presidential and federal races, then I don't know, lo and behold, we may see people who stick around afterwards and they're excited and they wanna participate in local campaigns. Having good messaging and a good national candidate will do a whole lot for our local candidates. Right. I really wanna see that happen. Yeah, I um, I was kind of brought in during the Ron Paul era um, mm -hmm. and Gary Johnson was the 2012 nominee. And mm -hmm. in 2012, Gary Johnson was a lot different than he was in 2016. Uh, I feel like he was bolder in 2012. Like he was more brazen. Uh, in 2016, yeah. he was a little Biden-y on some of yeah. his antics. Um, I just didn't understand it. Uh, but in, 20, in 2012, you know, leading up into 2012, I started watching and I was like, you know what? These are, these are really good points that these guys are bringing up. I like that there's this swell of people that seem to be into the end for lack of anything else that I can think of right now into what they're saying. And when I moved down here to Florida, I immediately started working on a uh, libertarian campaign for Congress. Um, and messaging was an issue back then, especially from national. Cause that was back when I was going door to door and you had the vice chair saying that all people in the military are murderers. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that not that, good. Exactly, and that is hard. Bold, to, not brutalist. Right, and, th and that's very hard to deal with when you're trying to sell somebody on a candidate. Um, yeah, I know that there wouldn't be any way to do like a checks and balances on that because if somebody's elected in as vice chair, they're kind of in. Um, but what would you do to prevent another situation that, the way I see it, was stealing my time? Uh, because I was going door to door and then I had to explain what the vice chair meant when he said that all people in the military, no matter who they are, are murderers. I had to explain that to people. And instead of telling them about what my candidate was going to do for them or how they were going to make their lives better, I had to explain those words. So okay. would, would there be, you understand. <laughs> okay. So I can't prevent the delegates from voting in someone who's dumb. But Fair. you vote someone in and then, you know, someone has a nervous breakdown, loses their mind, whatever, and start saying that all veterans are murderers and teachers are whores. Ugh. Uh, I'm not going to block everybody from trying to hold a censure vote. Right. I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, a lot of the rationale that went around when all of this was happening with the former vice chair of the party was that the delegates elected him and so the delegates get what they want. Okay, well, then the delegates were screaming, I think we need to censure, we need to get rid of the guy, we need to do this, we need to do that. Okay, so I'm not gonna stand in the way and block everyone from making that happen. You know, there've been plenty of contentious uh, conventions and meetings that I've chaired where initially when I inherited LA County, I inherited a, a very serious mess with extremely toxic people. And we had to vote them out. We didn't get all of them out initially. We did eventually by the, by the second convention, they were all gone. The county is amazing now. But uh, sometimes these people would scream at me and I would say, okay, then you can appeal my ruling. You want to appeal the ruling of the chair? Go ahead, here is your chance. And I'll help them craft motions against me. Um, the chair can't be the gatekeeper for what people want to do. The chair needs to facilitate, you know, and, and you've got to have the, the wisdom to figure out how to do that. And you've also got to have like, you know, like you've got to be able to check your ego. So if people are second guessing someone that I endorsed, if people are screaming, you know, that someone needs to be censured or voted off, it's not my job to say, oh no, you know, you voted him in a year and a half ago, suck it up. You know, I need to be able to say, all right, you know, let me take a, a read the room. We've got almost half of the people in this room who want to take a vote on it. We're going to vote. Yeah. 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 That's, that's how you handle things like an adult. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of the, I'm going to dig my heels in and 
no, you don't get to try to kick out my friend because he's my friend. And if you do, I'm going to take my party and go home. Uh, If it's your friend, take your friend aside and say, stop acting like a psycho. You're ruining this for me and for everyone else. That's what you do if it's your friend. That's what you do if it's your friend. Exactly. Um, Well, that is pretty much all the time that we have, but I want to give you the chance to pitch everything that you've got at uh, everybody watching. Um, so everything, everything, whatever, everything. whatever you got, whatever you want to, whatever you want to, uh, sell, push, pitch, anything. Well, um, what do I want to even say? Maybe I want to take a moment to talk about bravery. I would love everyone to visit my website, AngelaMcArdle.com and that is actually... me on Patreon and, you know, follow me, uh, as I visit all these, uh, state conventions, but I want to remind everyone that you lose your freedom one little bit at a time. Uh, if you if you see someone else being bullied and you don't speak up, you know you're you're losing a little bit of your freedom. You go to work, someone's lording their authority over you, and they're tyrannical. You don't have the wherewithal to stand up to them. You let government thugs lock you in your home or rob you, and you roll over to them. Uh, that's how you become a slave. And if you continue to be a slave, you will continue to generate tyrants all around you. Um, The forces of tyranny expand to occupy any space that's made available for their existence. And people who refuse to defend themselves with their speech and their actions are just as vulnerable to exploitation as those of us who are genuinely unable to stand up for our rights because of a disability. So I want to remind libertarians to be libertarian over the next year and a half. Do not take any grief from the government give it back to them as much as you can as often as possible stand up for yourselves and for the rights of others beautiful and uh for anybody who is interested in the show notes on today's episode i did include that link angelamccardle.com so if you want to uh donate or see what she is all about you can go visit it there um angela if you want to hang out for a few minutes i'm going to do the closing and then i will talk to you afterwards um, but thank you. No, this was great. I, I have wanted to talk to you for many years now, and I'm glad that we did it in a very public forum. Um, but, thanks. I'm glad we connected. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, hang out for just a few minutes and I will be right back to everybody else. Apparently Joe Solosky needs one more sponsorship push, but yeah, he's the key to Pennsylvania success. Um, to everybody else. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, next week, I we have so much going on that I definitely have pulled up already because I am a prepared individual for things of this nature. Um, I know that Spike's... I think Spike's in Ohio. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, Spike is in Ohio, maybe. And next week, starting on Tuesday... Right back here at the same muddied place, the same muddied time, 8-ish Eastern, Spike and I will parse through the week's events like the 2020 Wonder Boys that we are with a brand new episode of The Muddied Waters of Freedom. Excuse me. Um, With The Muddied Waters of Freedom. And then on Wednesday, Cinco de Mayo, uh, Spike has somebody... Spike's got somebody on. I don't know who. And uh, then I and then on Thursday, uh, Thursday, May 6th, uh, the Sace de Mayo, as they say, um, I have Joel Getz, who is running for mayor in Pennsylvania. I love Joel. He uh, did an episode of the Muddy Waters of Freedom, and he was fantastic. Um, so tune in for that, because that's just going to be a great time to everybody out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You can find this. In every episode of Muddied Waters Media at anchor.fm slash muddied waters. It's been scrolling across the bottom of the screen this entire time. Anchor.fm slash muddied waters. You can find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. We are out there. We are everywhere. If all you want to do is hear our voices, if you want to see us, go to muddiedwatersmedia.com and you will find this and every other episode there. Thank you all very much for the entire Muddied Verse. I am Matt Wright and you are perfect just the way you are. I will see you all next week. I am. I am. I am.
I'm swinging from a seven-story window, throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell. It's a stunning the legs I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help. Yeah, I am waving while I drive. Don't bother swimming out to save me. I will only drag you down. I'll try to use your body as a life raft. If there's room enough for one, there must be room enough for two. I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset. Sipping on savory water till my liver turns blue.